All right, Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. Real important subject tonight. The most important subject. In fact, besides this one, there is no other subject. Once you're saved, the main thing you need to be concerned about is how are you getting along with Jesus Christ? All right, Colossians chapter 1, verse 19. The Bible says, For it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell. And having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things unto himself. By him, I say. I notice it says by him, and then it says by him, I say. It's all by, by Jesus. It is true that we can get distracted with some things that are pretty important. And they carry some importance. But we can get so distracted by some pretty good things that we completely miss the best thing. And that's a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. By him to reconcile all things unto himself. By him, I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven. And you that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his side. It's by him twice in verse 20. It's in the body of his flesh through death in verse 22. I want to preach tonight together with Christ. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that you'll speak to us and help us to have an important reminder here that um, our relationship to you and our closeness to you takes care of everything else. It answers every other problem. It fixes a multitude of evils we couldn't even think of. And I pray that'd be the most important thing in our lives this week, but also the rest of our lives. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. I want to say this evening that from salvation all the way throughout eternity, our experience is to be with the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the one that saves you. He's the one that you spend time with. He's the one you pray to. He's the one that has all power. He's the one that was your example that you're trying to attain to. He's the one that saved everybody you care anything about. He's the one that inspired the scriptures. He's everything. Now, his great prayer for his followers is recorded in John chapter 17, and what a wonderful prayer that is. Amen. And uh, here's what he says in the middle of that prayer, John 17, verse 20. Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word. That's us. Jesus, in John 17, is praying for us at Victory Baptist Church in 2023 in Crossville, Tennessee, because he says, them which shall believe on me through their word. You know what we did? We believed on him through the words of the apostles found here in the Bible. We, uh, we got the Romans Road or uh, John 3.16 or John 1.12 or some of these scriptures written by these apostles, and Jesus is praying for those of us that believe on him through their word. And this is what he prays for us. He says, that they all may be one. <laughs> is there any use preaching that in a Baptist church? That they all may be one, as thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. Your unity with your brothers and sisters in Christ affects other people's ability to believe. Isn't that something? I hate that, but it's what it says. <laughs> That they also may be one in us, that the world may believe. Good night. 
So that's what he prays. His prayer for us is to have us one with God. He even says this is the way to make the world believe that God sent him. So the foundation of evangelism is oneness with God. You want to see some people saved? Here's what you work on, getting closer to God. A lot of people say, now Jesus told us to be fishers of men. Never did. Never one time did Jesus say to be fishers of men. He said, follow me. And, secondarily, I will make you fishers of men. You go out and try to be fishers of men, you'll never catch a one. But you get following Jesus, and he will make you fisher of men. That's the foundation, is oneness with God. Now, our text says specifically that it was Christ's work on the cross that made peace and reconciled all things to himself. Now, that's very true. The fact that Jesus was virgin born never saved not one person. It's true that he was virgin born, but nobody ever got saved that way. Uh, the fact he changed the water into wine and walked on the water and healed the sick and raised the dead and opened the eyes of the blind, those are wonderful things and they're absolutely true, but not one soul has ever been saved believing that Jesus did a great miracle. Amen, that's true. You get saved by putting your trust in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's what will save you. The other things are true, but they, they have no saving power. Uh, in fact, his death is the first in a number of likenesses between the Lord and his followers. So just get used to it. Jesus needs to be the focus of your life. If you'll take care of that, a whole lot of details either get worked out on their own or at least come way easier. And if you start trying to do all the little details and you and Jesus aren't close, it will never work. You talk about a thankless task. It'll just look like, here, I've got a hundred things I've got to think about and fix all at the same time. You get close to Jesus, and 50 to 75 of them will be taken care of either immediately or relatively easily. All right, so here's, here's the likeness of us with the Lord Jesus. Here's how we are together with Christ. First thing I want to say is we're crucified together. Galatians 2.20 says this, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. You know, there is something wrong with a saved person, or something wrong even with a lost person that doesn't care about the love and sacrifice that Jesus made for him. But especially a saved person should appreciate that. We are crucified together with him. If he loved you that much and sacrificed his whole life, broken fellowship with the Father, the horrors of the crucifixion, and not just the physical ones, the physical ones are unbelievable, but the spiritual ones as well, and him who, he who knew no sin became sin, the Bible says, that is something that ought to get our attention. Now, it's hard for us to appreciate it because we don't get the holiness of God. We've never been holy, and so holiness isn't something that really grabs us like it should. We think, well, I wouldn't, worse, I wouldn't wish hell on my worst enemy, you know, so why in the world would a loving God do that? Well, what you don't understand is the holiness of God. Amen. Because of the holiness of God, a thing like hell is necessary. However, however, he made it 100% totally free for you not to have to go there. Now, once you get saved, though, you have identified with Jesus Christ. 
Oh, to be like thee, blessed Redeemer, this is my constant longing and prayer. Gladly I'll forfeit all of earth's treasures. Jesus, thy perfect likeness to wear. Amen. The Lord says, that sounds good. Okay, well, all right, let's start. Let's start with the, where your salvation started. Okay, get up on the cross with Jesus. I am crucified with Christ. Isn't that what it says? <laughs> now, how do you think that goes over in today's world? Where everything is about you. What makes you happy? <laughs> if I hear another person saying, I'm so happy. This is, I, I finally found happiness and I really like myself and the person who I am now. And then, <laughs> oh me, that runs opposite. If we're so good, why does the Lord call us to be crucified with Christ? Crucified together with him. In God's sight, that's the way he sees it. Paul says, I am crucified with Christ. Also, we should be crucified to sin. Reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. That is a great mindset to help you not sin. Reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin. You say, hey, a dead man can't do that. I'm dead to that. Uh, on Shark Tank I used to watch years ago, Mr. Wonderful, as he calls himself, when somebody wouldn't take his deal and wouldn't do the business deal he wanted, he said, okay, you're dead to me. That was his way of just saying he had moved on. All right, you know what we ought to be able to say to sin? You're dead to me. Let's move on. Now, don't misunderstand. I realize we still have flesh, and we go back to it sometimes. But as often as possible, we should tell sin, I'm dead to you, or you're dead to me. Crucified together in God's sight. Crucified to sin. Here's an important one. Crucified to the world. Paul says in Galatians 6.14, But God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me, and I unto the world. Everything this world has going, you should be crucified unto it, and it crucified unto you. You're not interested in following this world. Now, don't misunderstand. You can take something and use something from this world to uh, witness to somebody. I'm fine with that. Do it according to your conscience. If uh, Christmas season coming around and you can make get some gospel tracks that have a Christmas theme, amen. If kids come knocking on your door at Halloween and you give them a piece of candy with a gospel track, Fine with me. You do it. You, know, you do that according to your own conscience. Don't misunderstand. There are some people whose conscience doesn't agree with it. Here's my point, though. You don't live in slavery to this world and all their customs and all that sort of thing. But if you can use it for Christ, the Bible says in Romans 14, He that observeth the day observeth it to the Lord, and he that observeth not the day doth not observe it according to the Lord. You just be sure in your mind and in your conscience, you're doing whichever way you're doing to the Lord and not because you're just following this world and if in your conscience you're not following the world and being a witness for the Lord Jesus Christ have at it but be sure of this be sure you're in whichever way you do it you're crucified to sin and you're crucified to this world now as long as that still works the Lord gives different gifts and gives different callings to different people all right so the first way we're like the Lord Jesus Christ is the real fun one crucified together all right, the second one, this just really finishes us off. We are buried together. 
Let's uh, turn over here to Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. Romans 6, 3. Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into water were baptized into... Wait a minute, that's not what it says, is it? <laughs> Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into water? Water doesn't appear in the whole passage. Amen. This is not talking about water baptism only, if you do want to say it's in any way here, it is only strictly in type. The word water is not even mentioned. In no way is this talking about water baptism unless you want to say, well, water baptism is kind of a type of it. You might could go that far. But he says, Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death. To baptize something just means to dip it in something. So we get dipped into Christ's death. Well, that's what we just said, crucified with Christ. It's a, it's a figurative thing, of course. Verse 4 goes on to say, Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death. That like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we had been planted together, what's planted? That's put down underground, isn't it? Isn't that what you do with the seed when you plant something? So if we had been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. So we're buried together. You know what burial is. We've all been to funerals of loved ones. And we've seen that last time. They close the casket, and that's the last time we'll ever look on that face. And then they take them and bury them in the ground. You know what that reminds us? Finality. And from our earthly vantage point, it is. It's final. Buried. We're not only crucified with Christ, we're buried with him. The old man is gone and buried, and when we get trying to resurrect him, we are doing something against what God is trying to picture here. Buried together, it solidifies in your mind that that person has died. Now, it's typified by water baptism. That's what we're essentially saying when we come up here. We're saying, just like Jesus was buried and rose again, I'm now following him in believer's baptism. And the old man is dead and buried. But that reminds me to say, he, we're also quickened together with him. In other words, made alive. Uh, Ephesians chapter 2 verse 5 even when we were dead in sins hath quickened us together with Christ. Notice how everything in the Christian life is with Jesus. There is way too much Christianity that has any number of things going to church which is important praying at least publicly so everybody can see us which is important Bible reading which is important Bible knowledge which is important it has any number of things Stopping some bad habits and picking up some good habits, all of which are good, but they have no power if you don't have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. So our crucifixion is together with Christ. Our burial is together with Christ. Our new life, coming back to life, quickened, as we say, is with Christ, Ephesians 2.5. 1 Corinthians 15 says it this way. But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the firstfruits of them that slept, for since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. So in God's sight, as the old man is killed, the spirit is quickened. 
you sometimes hear the illustration of uh, you have a, a, a mean dog and a good dog, or a black dog and a white dog, and they're fighting, and the one that wins is whichever one you feed. All right, well, here's another illustration of it. Whichever one you kill, the other one comes more alive. Which one are you killing? The flesh? Are you killing the world? Or are you killing your spirit? I'll tell you how to, how to mortify something. You just take away all of its nutrients. If you take a person and put them in a, in a small jail cell and never give them any water and never give them any food, guess what? Eventually they'll die. But it'll be a slow, painful death. There are some Christians that haven't, haven't given their spirit any Bible reading, any prayer, any Christian life, any Christian fellowship for a long time. And if it could die, it would have died. And it's real, real weak anyway. Quickened together. In God's sight, as the old man is killed, the spirit is quickened. I'll tell you something else. This should be seen in man's sight. When you've been saved and you're reading the Bible and the Holy Spirit of God is controlling you and filling you, people on the outside ought to notice there's something different. You've heard stories after story of people getting saved and the people around them knew it. Oh, they knew something was different. In some cases, way different. Quickened together with Christ. All right, here's another one, though. Raised up together with Christ. Now, it's pretty good when somebody's dead or about dead, been laying there in a coma, regains consciousness. That's pretty good. That's pretty impressive. It's a, it's a time for celebration for that family. That the person that they thought was gone is back. But... The person's still just laying there. They just have a little consciousness. Maybe they just open their eyes a little bit. That's still pretty pitiful. So we're not only quickened together with Christ, but we're raised up together with Christ. Ephesians 2 6 says, 2, 6 says and hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Raised us up together. That implies some activity. Now, after you get saved and you make Jesus Christ the head of your life, first you're crucified with him. You get, rid of, you get rid of the old man, so to speak. You're buried with him. So you just ceremoniously say, hey, that is over. And we have a public show that that is gone. That part of me is dead. I know we're flesh. I know we go back and try to resurrect the old man and sometimes do. And that's a shame that we do. But the ideal is he is crucified and buried. Then we're quickened together with Christ. Then a new life starts. And when you first get saved, you don't really know what to do at first. All you know is the Lord's done some things for you, and you love hearing a message about him, and you love the spirit and the singing and the preaching and that sort of thing, but you're not really doing much yet because you don't hardly know what to do. But eventually you get raised up. There's some activity going on. And it's accomplished by and for God's glory. Romans chapter 6, where we were a little bit ago, it says, Romans 6, 4, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. There is some glory in the sight of God and in the angels of God up in heaven and in other Christians when they see somebody come to life and some activity happen. Verse uh, 5 for if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. What was his resurrection like? It changed everything. Amen. 
I mean, with his death, burial, and resurrection, the calendar changed. Everything changed. The sun went dark for hours. The earth quaked. Graves opened. Dead people came up and were seen in the city where you couldn't even dispute it. When Christ resurrected from the dead, everything, his disciples changed. They went around and changed things, and lives were changed, and thousands of lives were changed. And when you get saved, a bunch of things all change around you. Amen. I was a little boy, and I got a real good example of this when Daddy got saved. As young as I was, I knew big things were happening. There, it was night and day difference at our house. All right, so it's accomplished by God and for God's glory. Raised up together. Here's a good one. Seated together. Ephesians 2, 6 says, And hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. You know what sitting does? It implies rest. Now, I work at an office job, and I was sitting there 10 and 11 hours a day, and it was just ridiculous, and I felt terrible. So I got one of those stand-up desks, and I stand there all day. And I go and do things and walk as much as I can, and then come back, and even when I'm at my desk, I'm standing there. But those first couple of weeks of that, man, my feet hurt. I wasn't used to standing all those hours. And even now, occasionally, in a busy, stressful day, and if I haven't had enough rest, and maybe been exercising and walked a lot a day or two before, I'll, I'll get there and get kind of sore. You know what I enjoy? When I finally sit down <laughs> after standing all day. It feels good. You know what sitting does? It implies rest. You know what a lot of people in America need today? They need some rest, spiritually speaking. They worry about their family, and they worry about their finances, and they worry about their health, and they worry about their testimony, and they worry about what everybody thinks of them, and it will wear you out to do that. You'll be, you'll be going around almost kind of like you're in a sleepy, bad mood because spiritually speaking, you're so tired. It's a blessing when you can just sit and know everything's handled with the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Seated together, that implies rest. I'll tell you something else it implies. It implies fellowship. If you're in a public place and you see somebody you know, what do you do? You go sit with them, don't you? <laughs> it, isn't it a little, little more awkward, maybe even sometimes a lot more awkward, if you have to sit by somebody you don't know and they don't know how to talk to you and you don't know how to talk to them? And <laughs> the ones you purposely choose to sit with are the ones that you know and are in fellowship with. And the ones you just had a big fuss with, you don't go sit with them, do you? <laughs> be kind of awkward, wouldn't it? 1 John 1, 3, That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you that ye also may have fellowship with us. And truly, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. You know why we can sit together even though we come from different backgrounds and have different interests and different viewpoints on a multitude of things? Because we're sitting together in Christ Jesus. On that, we agree. Seated together. So we're crucified together, we're buried together, we're quickened together, we're raised up together, we're seated together. All right, here's another, here's another important one. Those, everything in your Christian life is how close are you to Jesus Christ. The crucifixion, the burial, the coming back to life, the raising up, and when you get tired, the seating is with Jesus Christ and in Jesus Christ. 
If Jesus Christ is missing, I don't care what rules you keep. Now, I do believe in the rules. You're not going to be close to Jesus Christ if you break all his rules. If he says, now, all right, now, if you want to be in fellowship with me, you're going to need to do such and such and such and such. And If you love me, keep my commandments. Does he not say that? And you say, forget it, Jesus. I ain't doing a thing you say. But I want to be in close fellowship with you. That doesn't make any sense. Nobody's that stupid to think that you're going to do that. You might be saved, but you're not going to be in any fellowship with him if you have that kind of an attitude with him. But I will say this. If you and him are in close fellowship, everything else falls into place at least a easier. All right, so you're seated together. Now we're going to cover builded together. Builded together. Ephesians chapter 2. And are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone in whom all the building, fitly framed together, groweth unto an holy temple in the Lord, in whom ye also are builded together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. So we're builded together, most notably on Christ. It says we're built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, and then it says Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. What you're built on above all other things is the chief cornerstone, Jesus Christ. The apostles and prophets do give some help here and there. They do all right. I'm glad we have them. The Lord chose to use them. Great. But you take Jesus Christ out of that, I don't care what you think of blessed John the Baptist and blessed Peter and blessed this or that. It's Jesus Christ that we need. Builded together, most notably on Christ, but also on the works and words of the prophets and the apostles. Uh, the authors of the Bible largely were the prophets and the apostles. And the Lord chose to speak through them. So you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to submit his leadership. I'm going to believe his book. So we're seated together implying rest and implying fellowship. We're building together, most notably on Christ, but also on the works of the prophets and the apostles. Now, last, I'll say this. We are gathered together. Gathered together. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. One of these days, thank God, we're going to be gathered together. One of these days, all this being scattered is over with. Now, one thing we Christians do not enjoy is being scattered. Uh, the Bible says the persecution that arose about Stephen scattered the disciples, and they went everywhere preaching the word. But you know what the Lord had to do? He had to send some persecution. You know why? Because otherwise the Christians just stay around and eat and fellowship and have a good time. And I kind of don't blame them. I'd rather sit and eat and fellowship and have a good time than go out and go through some of those things those early Christians went through. I know from the Old Testament and New Testament what they go through. I know through my Baptist history what they go through. Uh, I'd rather go have a fellowship meal myself. <laughs> but once in a while, the Lord says, all right, you need to get out there. And I sent you, and you're not going, so I'm going to send some persecution. So that's not exactly our favorite part of the Christian life. But there's coming a time the Lord's going to say, okay, you've done it. You've worked good enough. Now I'm going to give you a fellowship meal. And Christ will gird himself and serve us with sweet manna all around. That'll be a wonderful time. So let's talk a minute about that gathering. All right, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. 
Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Your Christian life, from the time you got saved, all the time, way till the time you get in glory, is guess where? With Jesus Christ. And if you don't go up in the rapture, if you go the way of death, you know what we say? Absent from the body is present with the Lord. Amen. Once you got saved, it already fell in place that everything in your life is supposed to be with Jesus Christ. Gathered together. 2 Thessalonians 2, 1 says it this way. Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto him. Gathered together. Now what do we do in the meantime until we do die and go to heaven or until we are raptured up to heaven? What is the best picture of being with the Lord Jesus Christ? I'll tell you what it is. It's coming to a local church. Not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is. Where was Jesus? He was in the midst of the golden candlesticks. What are the candlesticks in Revelation? The churches. So the closest thing you can get to gathering together with the Lord Jesus Christ and his people until we do die or until we are raptured is to show up in a Bible-believing church. That's an important thing. Hey, let's be in church. I brag very often on victory and will continue to do so because for our small numbers, our giving is tremendous. Our work is tremendous. The outreaches and the upkeep and the things that are done, praise the Lord for it. But let me tell you something that's just as important. Just sitting in a pew, worshiping the Lord and hearing Him. Remember when Martha was working? She was working hard. It was stressing her out, all the work she was doing. And Mary just sat there and said, Lord, bid her come help me. And Jesus said, Martha, Martha, thou art cumbered about many things, but Mary hath chosen the better part. And don't get me wrong, I'm all for working. I don't want anybody to quit their working, okay? Work, work, work. <laughs> when the Lord rose up Peter's uh, mother-in-law, it says she got up and ministered to him. Whew, praise the Lord, he rose that woman up so she could get up and keep working for him. But, so I believe in work, but there is one better thing, and that's sitting and listening. That's what he said. Is that not what he said to Mary? Mary had chosen the better part, and she sat at his feet and listened. And Martha was doing the work, and Jesus said, Mary's doing better than you are. That's what he says. So, assembling together, gathering together is a big thing. Jesus says it's more important even than the work that you do. Why? Because that way you're getting instruction from the Lord Jesus if you're getting it from Bible preaching church. Alright, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that ye be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when ye are gathered together, and my spirit with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ. Philippians 1.27, Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that ye stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. We're in Colossians here in our text this evening. Look over at Colossians chapter 2, just one page over. 
And he says this, For I would that ye knew what great conflict I have for you, and for them at Laodicea, and for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh, that their hearts might be comforted, being knit together in love and unto all riches of the full assurance of understanding, to the acknowledgement of the mystery of God and of the Father and of Christ, in whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. We need to be in church, and we need to be looking at the Lord Jesus Christ, in whom are all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, gathered together, and then, thank God, glorified together. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 10, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him. Now, buddy, when we're gathered together up there, there will be glory. There will be shining. There will be shouting. Read the book of Revelation and see what goes on up in heaven. Glorified together. Romans 8, 17 says it this way. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If so be that we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together. I've tried to talk about the glory, but there is a prerequisite to it. You suffer with him. Down here on earth, there's some suffering. It's not all suffering, especially not here in rich, fat, spoiled America. But there is some suffering, I will grant you. If you give to missions like the Lord leads you to, you'll sacrifice some. If you work for the Lord like he leads you to, you'll sacrifice some. If you try to raise children for God in this God-forsaken age, you'll sacrifice some. You'll be disappointed. You'll be heartbroken. They'll do some things that will let you down. If you try to get married in this God-forsaken age, there will be bumps in the road. Everything you try to do these days, there will be some problems. There's some suffering, but let me tell you something. There's glory on the other side for it. When uh, these people get ready to play, to play games or try to win medals in the Olympics, you know what they do? They suffer. Some of those big dummies get up early in the morning and go out and run for miles. I hear sometimes the training that some of these athletes do, and I think, what a miserable life. <laughs> There was a guy at work that was really into bodybuilding, and he would go through these elaborate diets where he could only eat certain things, and then other times he could only eat this other certain thing. And I thought, man, that is so much to keep up with. And he would do these workouts, and they'd last a long time, and sometimes he'd do more than one in one day, you know. And, and I'll grant you, man, he was buff. This dude was superman, a good Christian young man, too. But there was some sacrifice to it. But you know what he did? He, he can win some awards that way. There's glory. There's a, there's a medal. There's a crown on the other side. And there will be some sacrifice, although compared with much of church history, I can't help but smirk at the sacrifice that we have here in the United States of America in our land of freedom and prosperity. But in some cases, it gets pretty bad even here. Now, I'll have to admit that. But I'll say this, there is glory on the other side. If we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together. All right, what did we see this evening? We saw believers inextricably linked to Jesus Christ. Our life is parallel to his starting at, oh boy, crucifixion. You know why some people never get to these other stages that I've talked about tonight? They never crucified themselves. They got saved. They trusted the Lord as their Savior. They got a 
They got a get out of hell free ticket, and thank God they did. And they're going to go to heaven and praise the Lord for it, but they don't have the joy that comes with being close to Jesus. They don't have the power that comes with being close to Jesus. They don't have the testimony that comes with being close to Jesus. They don't have the knowledge that comes with being close to Jesus. They don't have the fellowship and the comfort that comes with being close to Jesus. And step one is crucifixion. Say, what I want doesn't matter what he wants. Ye are not your own. Ye are bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. It starts in his crucifixion. After that, we're said to be buried with him. Then, thank God, quickened with him. Then, even better, raised with him. And then, when we get tired, and you will, seated with him. And then, as our Christian life goes on, we're builded with him. And thank what God one day gathered unto him, and therefore glorified with him. Christian, I want to ask you one simple thing. Is Jesus Christ the center of your life? If you'll take care of that, 50 other problems go away almost immediately. Amen. Just make him central. Talk to him multiple times every day. Let him talk to you in the Word of God every day. Get under the teaching and preaching and singing of gospel teaching and preaching and hymns as often as you can. Make Jesus central to your life. So many things are solved when you do that. If not, remember this. Just one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Or maybe I should ask it this way. Are you in the process of becoming one with Christ? I'll admit, our flesh goes against this. This is going to take some time. This is going to take some effort. You're going to do it pretty good for a while and then slip up and fall back. Amen. We all do. But don't ever stop trying. When you slip and fall, get right back up and say, I'm getting right back with Jesus. I'm going right back to the Father. And, that, and the only way back to Him is through the Son. Let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that you would help